Reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. Joseph Addison. That was Brandy. I'm Kayla. This is Two Bitches Reading Books. Welcome back, everybody. Kayla, I have a question that has been on my brain, you know, for weeks. Have you watched the new Cat Williams special? No, I haven't. Thank fucking God. Because if you had, then you would know what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) I almost watched it last weekend, but go ahead. Okay, well, after this, you're going to have to watch it. And I will tell you, he laughs at his own jokes. Like, it's funny at first, but it gets annoying later. But he says some shit that's just so fucking, like, true and hilarious. And, like, you know, the sad true of, like, what America is today. You know, it's good. You'll like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the sweet spot. (laughs) So, anyways, he happens to mention that the Nazis were on meth. (laughs) All the fucking Nazis were on meth. And it's true. I immediately, like, tune out the rest of the freaking special because I have to Google, is this true? Because I was just, like, last week wondering how these people who were just, like, regular fucking people turned into baby killers. But they really were, like, handed out this tablet called Pervitin to make them super soldiers. Oh, my God. And it was synthesized meth. And this company made it, like, they literally started it in 1938 up until 1988. So the Nazi party is, like, the party of, like, no drugs. If you do drugs, you're weak. You're less than. You're not, like, a superhuman Aryan, whatever. But if you do Pervitin or meth, then you are like a super Aryan, a super soldier. You can stay up longer. You can work without eating. You can do all this stuff. And like, I, I'm reading a, a, a Time article about this. This is real. They did this. Oh Apparently, the Nazis handing out these tablets, they, they blame that for basically the rampant um, dr- like meth use now, whether it's illegal or like pharmaceutical. So wow. anyway, fun fact. Um, no wonder those motherfuckers were so heartless and crazy. Yeah. They were just methed out. And can, like the, the German government is like, we can make these soldiers go faster with less food if we just give them these pills. And then they don't eat for 36 hours and they can march for 36 hours. It's fucking crazy, right? I mean, we all know that the government's messing around with drugs for super soldier reasons. But yeah. That's That's a fun fact, right? That is insane. But it kind of makes the fact that there were so many crazy, angry Nazis makes it makes more sense now. Yeah. Yeah. No, because that's what meth does. I am so afraid when it looks like somebody is like a meth head. One time Matt and I were driving through a tiny town and we saw these two dudes just sitting outside a gas station. We were like, okay, well, we don't need gas this that bad. Mm-mm. I don't mess around like that. <laughs> Not no. with meth heads. Yeah. And that also <laughs> it- explains why like they were just able to do this without feeling any sort of remorse. Right. And like, they felt like they were like godlike because they took this and they were better than everybody because they were able to do all these other things that normal people couldn't. That's what I've been waiting. I've been holding that in. I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Are you surprised? I'm, I'm shocked. So yeah. my question to you, like knowing all the things that we know that are coming out of Russia right now, do you think they're doing some drugs? Oh, 100%. For sure, right? Yeah. Probably Honestly, something worse than meth. Probably, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Americans were funding it. Like some back alley, like, shit that yeah. we don't know about? Yeah, like they did with the Colombians in 88 and the Contras, and I wouldn't be surprised. In all fairness, our little claws are in everything. We're buying everybody's shit. We're messing with everybody's economies, so 
really we're kind of probably funding everything yep that's all we do is bye 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 here well um we have set the tone perfectly for the rest of the book actually (laughs) (laughs) man I expected like a happy ending and I'm not gonna lie to you I you know I read the last two chapters today and the first thing I did before I started chapter four was read the last page and was like fuck this book is sad. I didn't even want to finish it. <laughs> I can't believe you read the last page. We were doing I so did. good. I so did. good this book I just cast. had to know. I just had to know. I'm so sorry. But anyways, I read. <laughs> so of course I read the title to chapter five, like knowing the ending of the book, thinking I don't want to know shit about this honeymoon. <laughs> but <laughs> alrighty, we'll get there when we get there. Also, I'm going to say that I'm so excited that we're done with this book because I just feel like we've been reading it forever. And I'm, and I'm just like, I need to move on. It's time to move on. Right. So. Oh, man. I, you, I've been like binge listening to other like audiobooks and reading other books to get this shit out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad we read it, but whew, it's stressful. It is it stressful. Is. It is. Especially with the current shit that's going on everywhere because like we've learned nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing mm-hmm. at all. It's very depressing. Yep. So we're going to start on chapter three. Um, It's titled, And Here My Troubles Began. There are pictures of people in striped pajamas with their wooden shoes uh, walking. And then there's one where their shoe is face up as if they are on the ground. Man, I hadn't noticed that. Oh, yeah, that guy right in the front. Yeah, he's definitely laying down. There's one guy with a slipper. And I feel like this picture really illustrates how they didn't give a fuck if you had the proper attire or not. No, they didn't care because they were too busy on meth. Right, exactly. Like, isn't that <laughs> the perspective that you have now, knowing that all these people are methed out, is, yeah, of course they did this and thought they were, like, doing, I don't know. It was a giant fucking gang. And they were all on drugs, basically. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. They were, like, in a drunk drug frenzy. And it's just, like, you know, you know how, like once you get in that frenzied state and it like starts building and building and then everybody's just in there and then you're one-upping the person before and it just like that puts such such a good lens on this whole thing for me you're totally fucking right that's exactly what they did but chapter three starts with of course um vlad counting his pills and complaining that art and francois are not going to stay there forever he's also complaining that art sleeps too long but i mean he doesn't have kids let him sleep Right, exactly. Like, he's he's a late-night writer, okay? Maybe he gets all his work done at night. Waking up early doesn't make you better. Trust me. I wake <laughs> up early, and I have to go to bed at 8 p.m. So oh. this one, Vlad is like, oh, it's a beautiful day for a supermarket. And he's like, oh, I'll get man. you there. Anything you want to eat for the week, your key legs, fish, whatever you want. And then Art says, we don't need much. We're leaving in a day or so. And then Vlad says, leaving? But you only just came. Oh, this is the racist chapter. It is the racist chapter. I reread the last page of this chapter before I started reading the rest today. And that's also been a lens that I've had on for the rest of the reading of this. But Oh, my God. I kind of thought we talked about this last episode. I, I totally forgot. We're just going to open up with him returning the happy and food to the fucking grocery store. This I love this. so embarrassing. <laughs> I love this. I love that he the almost empty box of special k to the grocery store and bitched at the person yeah (laughs) until he got a new box so he's sitting here complaining 
that this is all Mala's fault, that he has this half-eaten food that nobody's going to eat. Art doesn't want to take it home because, like, are you going to take a half-eaten box of Special K, that's what he's got, <laughs> home, like, hours and hours away so you can eat that at home? No, throw it away. That was $2. We don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we know how he is about the matches, so this makes sense, doesn't it? So, <laughs> he packs up all of his half-eaten groceries after yelling at Art and Francois for not taking it and like, yelling at them for thinking he can't return it. He's like, oh, no, you watch this. <laughs> How much food has he returned? I'm assuming a lot if he's done this before. But Art's irritated that they're returning the food like any sane, regular person would be. And Vlad says, I cannot forget it. Ever since Hitler, I don't like to throw out even a crumb. And I mean, shit. Now you have to take him to the fucking grocery store. You do. You have no choice. And you can be angry on the inside, but you just have to do it now. And those are the facts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He says, I can glue together the box, but I still don't think the ShopRite will exchange it. No, <laughs> yeah, that's not the point. They don't care if you ate it all or not. If it's bad, maybe. But anyways, they end up going, they get it returned. And while they're in the car, they, of course, Art wants to know more about the story. He asked about Anya in this one, isn't it? Or he just keeps talking. He's talking about Anya. Hmm. let's see what he says um, he says oh you know last night i was reading about auschwitz oh and he says that some prisoners in the gas chamber revolted and vlad says yeah they all got killed for doing this three ss men and blew up they killed three ss men and blew up a crematorium mm-hmm. but because they did that um they were hanged and vlad said he actually saw them near his workshop they were good friends of Anya. So he does talk about Anya here. They were from Snow Snowick. And he said they hanged a long, long time. And that seems like just something that they like to do. Leave bodies hanging to instill fear. Um, so on page 80, he's talking more about it. He's saying in a couple more weeks, they ended up not being there. Um, because it was near the end in Auschwitz. And they're noticing that the Russian front is no more than 25 miles away. So they're like trying to pep each other up saying, we just need to stay alive a little bit longer and the Russians will be here. And it's just so fucking weird to think about the Russians being the ones saving people from Nazis and not being the Nazis. (laughs) Fuck. That's weird. It, It is. It really is. Someone says the Germans are getting worried. The big shots here are already running back into the reach. They're planning to take everybody here back to camps inside Germany. So that was something that I didn't know coming into this book is that they went back to Germany. Yeah, I don't think I realized that either. Honestly, I thought all the camps were in Germany. I kind of learned in the first book that Auschwitz was in Poland. Yeah, same here. Um, but it, that's what they're doing right now in Ukraine, isn't it? The camps are in Ukraine and they're sending them off to Russia for, we don't know what happens. Vlad was great at like networking. Did he have a LinkedIn? how did he know all these people? How did he know the right people to be friends with? Like, thank God he has these instincts for people at this point because he's meeting all the right people that keep him alive. Really? I mean, except for those people who fucking screwed him with the smuggling. Well, they got theirs in the end. Yeah, they sure did. So, so. They went, they took Vladek to an attic in one of the blocks. Uh, the room wasn't being used anymore. Once the evacuation started, they had a plan to have seven people hide in the attic 
there was clothing and identity papers and half a day's bread waiting for them. Yeah, so they know all the Gestapo are scared, so they're making a plan to hide up in this attic for, like, the next appell so they don't get, like, kicked out with all the other prisoners to go back to Germany. And... So they skip the count, they go up to the attic, and they see the Gestapo chase everybody around, kicking everybody out, but at least they get a bread, a sausage. That's more food than they've had this whole time. Anyways, so they get kicked out, and then this new friend that Vlad made comes up and says they're going to set fire to the entire camp and bomb the blocks. So... They couldn't stay. They all ran out. But they didn't even end up bombing them, but no one would have known that. Yep. He says, we left behind everything. We were so afraid. Even the civilian clothes. We organized and ran out. Now they are marching away from Auschwitz. And they're being led by the Germans. Uh, Vlad says all night he heard shouting or shooting. Um, Whoever got tired or couldn't walk fast, they shot. The more they walked, the more he heard shooting. Even in the daylight, he saw it. Um, somebody was running, jumping, turning, and rolling. They were shot 30, 25 to 35 times. He compares seeing these people dying to seeing a dog die because they're just rolling around. And he remembers when he was younger, he saw a neighbor had a dog that got mad and was biting, so they shot it. And it was just rolling around and kicking before he finally laid quiet. And he thought, how amazing is it that a human being reacts the same like this neighbor's dog? And that is so fucking, I just imagine the insecurity that you feel. Oh, man, your fight or your anxiety level is never going to recover from this experience. Never. I I can't even put words into how scary this seems to me. And after everything that's already happened, like they can do anything you want anything they want to you and you just have to go along with it so that whatever they decide to do to you isn't that bad that fucking sucks that seems like a terrible feeling and it's no wonder why when Artie explains Vlad he explains Vlad the way he is Mm -hmm. and it's starting to make sense that like why Vlad is Vlad yeah so the kid from the attic tries to bribe the guard into letting them run just don't shoot when we run And the guard says, okay, we'll give you the signal late at night and we'll just shoot over your heads. And obviously takes the gold. And I'm wondering at this point how they still have gold after being from Auschwitz. These guys are crafty. But anyways, um, Vlad's like, you can't trust these Germans. And night comes, eight or nine people run off and the Germans shot them. So that's just, I think, probably happening right now in Ukraine. That's just the way it was. Nobody gave a fuck. Nope. That's crazy. So they go to Gross Rosen. Gross Rosen. I don't know how to pronounce that. And they that's them crossing the border from Poland into Germany. Mm-hmm. And I thought right here, now they're in Germany. This is bad. He says it's a small camp, though, with no gas. I thought it was bad, too, with thousands of prisoners from all around being pulled back into Germany. I figured there was no way out alive. This yep. is me saying it. Yeah, right. I think so, too. He says everywhere was confusion and hitting. Terrible. They caught 20 of us to carry. Where were they taking them? Oh, they were having 20 people carry pails, two per pail. So Vlad grabs the strongest person so they could outrun everybody and not get beat. And he even got extra portions of soup. And here um, we get in the next few pages, but Vlad is sick while he's doing this. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And he's sick for the rest of the book, basically. Like... Mm -hmm. He got typhus, then he got diabetes, and then he got all the everything else. They do all of that. They get their soup. 
And I'm assuming every fucking prisoner there has a concussion and probably some lacerations. And they probably have some blisters on their feet from walking around in ill-fitting shoes from a different country. It says an inch on this map is 90 miles. And it's probably like two and a half inches. So what is that? Like 180, 240 miles? That's, oh that's so many miles on the legs. That's, a, that's too many. So then they wake up in the morning and they have to go marching again. Um, but they go marching to a train. Oh, this is the worst part of the book. Yeah, they pile a bunch of people into the train. Uh, people are laying one on top of the other, like, matches. And Vlad, being the smart person he is, found two hooks that he could climb up on. Yeah, he makes himself a little hammock up there, so he's kind of sitting above everyone, thank goodness, because... There's so many people in here. They all have to stand. They can't sit down. They're just squished in there standing. He said making the hammock saved him. Maybe 25 people out of 200 in that car made it out alive. That means 175 people starved to death, suffocated to death, were trampled to death in this car. The train started moving. They never knew when they were, where they were going or when. People started to die and faint There wasn't any room to fall, so they stood on people that would fall to the ground and die. He tells a story about um, somebody fell, and people would be yelling, oh my gosh, my legs, I'm being stabbed. And somebody had fallen, and people were standing on him, so he started stabbing their legs, or legs with a knife. But Vlad said usually the people who did that died anyway. They couldn't let them up. He said if someone had to make a urine or a bowel movement, he did it where he stood. And then they would stop the train and the Gestapos would open up the door and say, just throw out the dead. And Vlad says he basically survives um, with snow from up on the roof. Um, A couple people had sugar, so he traded them some because he could reach the roof from his little hammock. So he traded some sugar for some water. Man, he just he gets really lucky. Very resourceful. They threw out all the dead then and then didn't move the truck again for up to a week. Then one day they opened it, threw out the dead. The guard says, throw out the dead and clean up your filth. Like it's their fucking fault, right? Mm-hmm. Vlad says, if the dead had bread left or better shoes we kept, they didn't need anymore. Outside were many trains standing for weeks. Some they never opened and it was everybody dead inside. They closed us in again. We were very happy we had room to stand now. They just had to pile the people who died near the door. And each day, the Germans would come in and count the dead. And he said, so many got thrown out. Soon they had room to even sit. This is worse than, like, what they've been doing anyways. Yeah. Yeah. If they're looking for a more inhumane way to kill someone, this is it. Yeah. So eventually the train finally starts moving again. And then people start going fucking crazy. Like, they need to get out. Obviously, this is crazy. And it stops again. And shit, this is like the first reprieve that they have. It's the Red Cross. Everybody gets a snack. Everybody gets a coffee and a piece of bread. They're saved by the Red Cross. Man, such a good feeling. But then they go back into the trains and in the train more die or back into the train to die and they travel some more and they um, find out they're going to Dachau that's in Germany he says from all the camps of Urim they brought us back 
all of us inside Germany. And at this point, Vlad stops talking. They were in the car, if we remember correctly. And um, they end up at the grocery store. He's yelling at Art about his terrible driving. He didn't turn into it correctly. And uh, they're back to having the argument about whether or not they should return the groceries. And Art's like, I'm not going in there. You go in there by yourself. If Francois and Art end up out in the car just watching him. And they're talking and they're talking about Anya's diaries. Francois actually made that sick burn. <laughs> she said, you know, I'll bet you that Anya's notebooks were written on both sides of the page. And Art says, why would you say that? And she said, well, if there were any blank pages, Vlad would have never burned them. <laughs> she does. <laughs> oh, that's a sick burn. Now the manager and Vlad are shouting at each other. And of course, the kids quote-unquote in the car are super fucking embarrassed super embarrassed um also i wonder how often did you do you think vlad would pull the holocaust card oh shit every every hour every time things didn't go his way every single time but maybe not it seems like art just feels like he did every time that could be a possibility you know because this is all coming from art's perspective and you know how when you're around somebody a lot the things that annoy you about them seem like they happen a lot Yes. You know, but just the tone I'm getting from this book seems like every time he didn't get what he wants, Holocaust card. But if I had a Holocaust card, I would play that shit everywhere. Probably. I would too. Shit, like so much. He almost died every fucking day. The stress of that. I've been stressed about it. You've been stressed about it. This was a hundred years ago. Man. So anyway, Vlad wins. He says he got to exchange $6 worth of new groceries for only $1. So he took his old groceries, paid a dollar, and got $6 worth of groceries. That's so funny. Uh, He says that manager is a very fine gentleman. He helped me as soon as I explained to him my health, how Mala left me, and how it was in the camps. So there's that Holocaust card again. Oh my gosh. At least we know. So they're driving back now to um, to, the rental or the rental. Yeah. And Vladik was asking for his cell phone to call his lawyer on Mala. And Art was like, well, wait, you were saying it was very crowded in Daishu, Daishu. And so then Vlad just starts talking about it again, saying it was miserable. You couldn't tell him in Daishu. That's where his troubles actually began. Yep. They were just sitting on straw waiting only to die he says and in the straw there were lice and from the lice was typhus and apparently um they wouldn't feed you if you had typhus so you couldn't get soup unless you had a clean shirt if you had any lice no soup and he said that's impossible to get no lice everywhere was lice and then he's talking about how somebody could get soup because it's so difficult. They're starving to death. They just went through those freaking trains. If somebody spilled one drop, he would fight until there was blood. He says, you can't know what it is to be hungry. And he got an infection in his hand. He tried to make it worse so that he could go to the infirmary because it seemed like it was nice there. And he goes and it does seem nice. They put some bandage on his thing and he got to eat three times a day doesn't he try to go almost every day probably well i feel like they catch him saying um that it should have healed by now and then you say i irritated he says i irritated it each day to make it stay longer it hurt very very much but i mean three meals a day and all he had to do was mop and yeah a real bed sure probably 
Yeah, he says only two people per bed instead of like 40. So eventually he got afraid for his hand and let it heal. But he says he still to this day has a scar. And then the next page, Vlad meets um, a French man. He says, I can speak German, Yiddish, Polish, and English. And some guy was like, English? And um, the guy said, Dua, merci. I talk English also a little. I was becoming crazy. Yeah, he says there's no other French. And he's going crazy because he has nobody to talk to. They talked about going back to America and... Or going to America, maybe, for the first time. And Vlad says it made the time lighter. Each time he found me, the French man, he insisted to share with me. And it saved his life. He always had snacks from the Red Cross. Biscuits, sardines, chocolate. It may sound redundant, but at least that kept them alive. Oh, this is actually a camp run by the Red Cross. Oh, Hmm. no. Maybe the Red Cross is the one sending the packages. But it says his family sends the packages. I think Red Cross sends the packages. Yeah, they're like acting as UPS or something for the families. Yeah. Maybe. Interesting. So Vlad's food rich right now, so he has an idea, and he starts trying to sell his uh, bar of chocolate. He trades it for a clean shirt, basically, and he finds a piece of paper. He washes and cleans the shirt, folds up the shirt in this paper, and then he can just hide his dirty shirt in his pants and show the clean shirt to get food. Fucking resourceful. I know. He even teaches his new um, French friend how to do this. And he says, you're a genius, Vladek, a genius. And he helped the Frenchman to get a shirt. And they both always got soup. So the Frenchman gave him some of his snacks. And Vlad helped him make sure that he gets food. But after a few weeks, he officially has typhus from sleeping on the lice. He says he's too sick to even eat. He's got a very high fever. He couldn't sleep. And every night people died of this. There's just a picture in the top right of page 95 of this. It's a row of mice sleeping, and I assume they're barracks. And one just looks like he's withering away. I feel like that's Vladek. Is that him? Man. I think that's Vladek, crying yeah. out in pain. And then one night he had to go to the bathroom, and it was he said it was always full, the whole corridor with dead people. So he had to walk over them. And he says that... It was so slippery, the skin. You thought you're falling, and this was every night. And Ugh. he kept thinking as he was walking, it's my time. Now I'll be laying like this one, and somebody will step on me. Yep. Oh, gosh. It's ugh. the picture on the bottom of 95 just has like people, mice. There's a pig, um, there's a cat. I'm assuming in different stages of decomposition. That is so crazy. Oh, and then there's a human foot. Yeah. I noticed that all the feet are human-like, and so are the hands. That is so crazy. Yeah, right? It creeped me out the first couple times I noticed it, too. So he was still alive the next time the guy from the infirmary came, and most people didn't live long enough to even go die in the infirmary. So it seems like he kind of got lucky to go to the infirmary again at this point. Because they gave him soup and bread. Because he was too weak. Yeah. But he said he was too weak to eat it, so he put his portion below his pillow. And somebody found his stale bread, and somebody said, just take it away. They'll never need it. And he says, I screamed, but I couldn't scream. So he was just slapping his shoe up against the bed, and finally the person was like, whatever, keep your damn bread. (laughs) And Vlad says, I can eat, but I cut it into pieces to pay for help to go down to the toilet. Like, gosh. It's all about what you can do for somebody else. It is. What is typhus? 
I don't know. Let me Google it. I feel like it's going to have flu-like symptoms because everything does. Yeah. An infectious disease caused by rickettsi. I don't know what that is. Characterized by a purple rash, headaches, fever, and usually delirium. And historically, a cause of high mortality during wars and famines. Interesting. Uh, that's transmitted by lice, ticks, mice, and rats. Please. Interesting. Yeah. So Vladek's fever finally fell and then something new came. Um, everyone's strong enough to a pig. I can't remember which character is a pig. Everyone's, They're Polish. Okay. The Polish came out and said everyone's strong enough to travel, line up outside. You'll be exchanged as war prisoners at the Swiss border. So Vladek was like, I need someone to carry me outside. He's he that weak. weak. Yep. But he, um, help, he gave his bread to friends so they would help him. So thank God he got those people to give his bread back. And he was so nervous because they love to send out the sick ones when they get there, you know, to just kill them. And because he gave them the bread, they even held them up, held him up to like pretend he was alive. I feel like they could have been in trouble for that. That's crazy. Like you're that hungry that you will do that risk your life for like a crumb of bread. And he said whenever they would let him go, even for a second, his legs didn't hold. And then they saw a train. Here was a train not for cows and horses, but a real train to take passengers, a train for people. This broke my heart right there. Because, like, they can sit in a seat. They're not going to sit on each other and step on people until they die. Like, man. They probably have heat. Yeah. Some form. I thought this train, it must be for the Gestapo. But no, it took us out from Dachau in the direction to Switzerland. And then Art said, whatever happened to the French guy that helped you? And then Vlad said, yeah, he was a fine fellow. I can't remember his name, but in Par- he's living in Paris. They exchanged letters for years. Vladek taught him English. And then Art asked if he saved any letters. And then Vlad said, of course I did. But all this I threw away with Anya's notebooks. Yeah. And then we immediately go into racism. Fantastic. Anya stops, or not Anya, excuse me, Francois stops the car. And of course, Vlad's like, why are you stopping? We're not at the bungalow. And she says, there's a hitchhiker. And Vlad, I don't know if this word is like a bad word or not. I don't know. Anyways, he says it's a colored guy. (laughs) I hate that too. And he yelled, push on the gas quick. Like, what? And they end up picking him up. And the whole time... Vlad is sitting up front talking shit in Polish saying, oh, my God, what has happened to his wife? Has she lost her head? I just can't believe it. There's a whatever this word is I'm not saying sitting in here. And they drop him off. Nothing happens, obviously, because normally nothing fucking happens. If you meet a black person, you just go on about your life, bro. Just like when you meet all the other colors of people. (laughs) And... Vlad immediately is like, Francois, are you crazy? The whole time I had to watch out that he didn't steal our groceries from the back seat. Like, nobody is trying to get in your car and steal your fucking groceries, bro. No one. Don't even compare them to the Jews. Totally fucking racist, man. Totally fucking racist. Totally. Oh, man. And of course, Francois's not letting it go. She's like, you shouldn't generalize and say all black people steal. And Vlad's like, just stop. You don't know them. And he goes into a story about how when he first moved to New York, he worked at a garment center. And before this, he didn't see colors, typical. And he said, then there were black people everywhere. And if he put down any of his valuables for a second, they would take it. 
That's not your special K, Vlad. And honestly, if you put down your valuables anywhere, someone will take it. <laughs> Those are the yes. facts. So anyways, they finally get home and Vlad's like, thank God our groceries didn't get stolen. Like an old racist white man. <laughs> I mean, I love him. And he went through a terrible time, but gosh, dang it. Going through a terrible time is supposed to make you more understanding to people and not less. But it doesn't work that way. It does not. Not for everyone. So we get to chapter four. It's called Save. The picture on here has a few Jewish soldiers, Vladik and the American flag in the background. But the chapter starts. I shouldn't say Jewish soldiers because they weren't soldiers. They were Jewish prisoners prisoners with the American flag in the back. Yeah. I feel like this is overstating. Uh, I just feel like everybody has this idea that America saved the day and like liberated the camps, but like that wasn't even their intention, y'all. That they did that, but it was an accident and I don't feel like they should get all this credit for being liberators. Tell me, who liberated them? What do you mean? Like the Russians? Um, it was the Americans who got there eventually, but we weren't going there to liberate the camps. We didn't even know that shit was happening. Yeah, that's right. We didn't. We got there and we're like, oh my God, there are camps, y'all. This is (laughs) happening. They were lying. And then the Americans did the same thing to Japanese people. But yeah. Yeah. Around (laughs) the same fucking time, too. Jesus. We're all hypocrites. Yeah. Anyway, we're back in Rigo Park late autumn and uh, Vlad's talking about how he always saved money always so he could have a little for his old age and he's realizing now that he's old and all he has is an oxygen oxygen tank he's weak he has diabetes he can't live alone anymore he's got too much room like he's lonely and he's I think realizing that a hairbrush and getting your hair done every week is a little tiny bit to ask to be somebody's companion until they die yep and so he invites Artie and Francois to live with him and he says nope yeah absolutely not I'm not coming here to live with you Art's like get yourself a fucking nurse and then Vlad mentions that if he gives Mala a hundred thousand dollars then she'll live with him again and like that's cheaper than a nurse bro but you know what have been cheaper than a nurse and cheaper than a hundred thousand dollars you know that's all she was asking treat her like a human being yeah that's crazy that's so crazy he is also talking about maybe getting a tenant to come take care of him in one of his empty rooms and they really seem like they're kind of arguing like people are leaning over tables fingers are getting pointed and now they're talking about changing windows of course no wonder they're arguing Vladik wants art to do something that art doesn't want to do yeah art wants vlad to pay people to work on his house And Vlad wants Art to just help him do it so he can save some beans. And And so now Art says, tell me more about Anya. Yeah, he says, I'll help you with these stupid windows, but Anya first. And Vlad's like, Anya, what's there to tell? Everywhere I look, I'm seeing Anya. From my good eye, from my glass eye, if they're open or if they're closed, I'm always thinking of Anya. And I feel bad for him. I do too. Old racist jerk face. I feel bad for him. So... Of course, Art's going to press on. He wants to know where Anya was when he was in, like, Dachau on those trains and shit. And Vlad honestly doesn't even know. She got marched from Auschwitz earlier than him and came through Gross Rosen like he did, but then he doesn't remember where she went. Art is like, but how did she survive? And Vlad's just like, well, Mansi, you know? Unfortunately, I couldn't find Mansi after to thank her, but... It had to have been Mansi who kept her alive. And Vlad's getting aggressive here, too. He's, like, pointing at her, like, or pointing at Vlad, like, how did Anya survive? And I don't know. If it was me, if I went through the concentration camps, I feel like I would PTSD 
like put that all in the back of my mind and forget it. I would too. And Vladik says that he only knows that Anya came out free by the Russian side, and mm-hmm. she came back to the to Snow Snowick before he did. His liberation took a bit longer because he was supposed to go get traded for German prisoners, but they ended up not even going that way. He's on a train now. He still has typhus. But when they were in Switzerland, they got a box from the Red Cross with some more sardines and biscuits and chocolate. And, of course, Vlad saves his. Even though some people try to steal it in the middle of the night, he keeps it. And he still has typhus at this point. He says he still has it. He needs to rest, but he ended up staying up late just so he could keep his treasure guarded. Ugh, I feel like I have typhus. Man, (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) so then they get kicked off the train and now they have to go by foot and he says i saw it's not everywhere my hell it's still life going on and that's i feel like that's the worst part like nope everybody else isn't suffering it's just me why am i suffering they march and stop and end up just standing for hours and i feel like this really um illustrates just the chaos of ending a war like nobody knows what's going on probably orders are getting changed every five seconds countries are trying to get their troops back away from the troops that are now coming to like stop them or whatever and there's whispers like what's going on they're taking us back no the americans are coming and then eventually they're like the war is over woo and now they have to march back to the track the guards didn't leave them but they put them on a freight train and one guard said, the Americans will be in the next town. They can have you. On And then on the train, no guards came. So they really saw that it was over. Yeah. And um, there weren't any Americans at the next train. So they end up just taking off and start wandering around. And unfortunately, one group of people were stopped by the Warmacht war patrol. And they took them all over to a lake. 150 or 200 people, he says, over to the lake. And he says, I didn't understand what was going on, but now I'm in German hands. And they realize they're setting up machine guns. They're going to murder everyone tonight. Oh, you know what I didn't realize? In page 106, there's a machine gun. Yeah, at the bottom of that long strip. Yeah, with the mountains and the lake. I never saw that before. I didn't either. It kind of looks like corn on the cob now that you mention it. But yeah, it's definitely a machine gun. Definitely way more deadly than a machine or a corn on the cob. Yeah. So now some of the people are trying to figure out how to escape. And someone said, we'll just jump in the water. We'll jump in the water. Well, someone jumps in the water and the Germans shoot him. They shoot at him. But they, they shoot at he him. made it. And That's then they crazy. were asking if other people had the strength to try, but Vlad had typhus. So, yeah. But I think they secretly decide that they're going to wait and swim once everybody starts shooting. So hopefully everybody will be distracted. They won't notice them. And then we the morning all... comes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. This is sad because he says, I still, his friend, Shyvek, he sees him there. He says, I still have coffee. Let's make one last cup. So sad. But sad. yeah, the next morning, no shooting happened. They wake up the next morning and find out that one of the Germans' girlfriends begged him to not kill all of these people because the war was over and he'd be punished. And he listened. They left and everybody took off. And then immediately, they get caught by another patrol and get rounded up into a barn. These people are fucking bloodthirsty. They really are. It's it's like, just let these people go. Go do your job. Nobody's going to know that you didn't kill all of these people. Yeah. 
just move on with your life. Now I don't feel bad when there's those 80-year-olds on trial because they were German soldiers. Yeah, I mean, they should be on trial. I hope this is terrible for them. It can't be as bad as what they did. No. So he says all night while they're in the barn, they hear shooting all around the mountains, but all of their guards ran away and they were still alive the next day. So they end up going to try to find a bunker and they find, this is a cat, so he must be a German. He's in a garage. He says, I don't want to get involved. Do not stay here. And then they're begging, please just have pity. We'll only stay for a day or two. And he says, fine, there's a pit in the back. And they end up going and laying back there. But then one day, like an officer shows up and he's asking the dude for directions. And the dude was like, hey, there's two Jews back there hiding in a pit. Just officer didn't ask him. He wanted them to go kill him. And then they just took off. They didn't even care. Yeah. And I'm glad. Like, fuck that guy. How dare he? What a terrible yeah. person. Yeah. And Vladik was asking Shivik if they could go find a safer spot. Mm-hmm. And they go to a house that no one's home. And they hide in the roof. Yeah. In the roof of the barn. And... Then they notice all the villagers are running away and a big old bomb bomb goes off. And now the village ends up being empty. They sealed off a bridge so the soldiers couldn't um, follow their trail. Vlad and his friend were on the other side of the bridge. They were safe now, for real. They end up looking around the house and finding milk and drinking all the milk. I mean, Vlad's friend was too scared to leave the roof, so he ends up bringing him the milk. And then they realize there's chickens, and Vlad's friend was a farm boy, so he kills some chickens and makes them some chickens. And they find some clothes, and they put the clothes on, and they start to feel human again. And then, of course, they get sick because they haven't eaten food food in so long. But then a few days later, the Americans come and end up saying, this house is going to be our camp, but you guys can stay here with us if you want to work a little, make our beds. Vlad says this was a good situation for him for a while. They liked him. He could speak English. Um, They called him Willie, but they gave him food cans, so that was okay. Yeah, and then, I mean, everything's going real well, and he's making some new American friends, but then a German woman comes into the house and says, arrest those thieves. They're wearing my husband's clothes. Like, stealing somebody's clothes on the list of crimes that have happened during this war, very low, very minimal. I feel like they could just have the clothes, but the soldiers are like, you got to give them back, Willie. But she's also German, so. Yeah. And I mean, the last German they encountered just tried to tell the police on them for literally no fucking reason. Yeah. Um, But Vlad's like, whatever, have the clothes. I still have three full valises. I don't know what that is. I wonder if it's their um, pajamas that they were forced to wear. Actually, that is a small traveling bag or suitcase. So he had packed three suitcases of clothes. (laughs) Oh, good. Good for him. Yeah. And so so then they come back to present time and Vladik says, we have to finish with my windows. He has a box that he's giving, a box that he's giving Artie and in it is just a bunch of Polaroids from when he was growing up, when uh, Vladik was growing up. He had pictures of his oldest of Anya's oldest brother. The Holocaust but died by a hit and run driver in 1964. That was four years before Anya killed herself. And he says Anya started then also to die a little. So that's sad. And then there was a picture of Lolik and Lonya who stayed by them in Sosnowik in the war. Lolik came out from Auschwitz alive. He's now an engineer, a big shot college professor. I kind of like how this chapter is kind of rounding out where people are. Yeah, I liked that too. And I was I was sad that most of them are dead. But yeah. I mean, we remember Lolik. He was the one who was like, I don't care. I'll go to Auschwitz. I'm strong. I can get a job. It worked out. But then we know that 
Lonia um, was poisoned in the ghetto with Raichu by Tosha. They talk about Anya's brother, Joseph, who was a sign painter, commercial artist. Anya always said that art looked like him. And then there's a little portrait of him and he does look like art. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into the story about how he had a girlfriend, but she liked money in nightclubs. And when the Germans took the family factory... She just broke up with him because he was poor, so he killed himself. Did you happen to notice the picture of her? Yeah, her head's taken out. (laughs) Yeah, it's scratched out. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I did too. I was like, my mom has a lot of pictures like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then he's talking about how the middle brother ran with his wife to Russia, but it was so bad there that they wanted to run back. And Vlad sent them money so they could come back, and they came back. And he says if they would have stayed in Russia, even though it was so bad, they would still be alive. But I thought this was interesting. Those who ran to Russia were sent to Serbia as traitors. This page made me so sad. It's just piles of pictures and that's all that's left. It's the photos, he says. It's actually really, I feel, I can feel the heaviness. Yeah, this is one of my favorite pages, page 115. It really does feel heavy the way he like, it's not like a cartoon strip anymore at the bottom of that page. He went a little different there it's a different feel than the rest of the book and then on 116 are asked what happened to Vladik's family and he says basically everyone died in Auschwitz Mm -hmm. his closest brother uh, Marcus his closest brother and Moses went to a camp and he sent them yeah, he sent some bread from the Red Cross yeah he hid money in the bread and then sent it through the Red Cross and, and then he met a man after the war and he told them, he told Vladik that his brothers died, but wouldn't tell him how. That must have been that it was really bad. Yes. He says his younger sisters, um, they were with him in the ghetto before they all died later in Auschwitz. And he says his brothers Leon and Pinek deserted from the Polish army, went to Russia. A family of peasant Jews, he says, kept them safe. And then one of the brothers married one of those people and one of the other brothers died from typhus. So he basically has one brother that was alive at this point. And then there's a picture of Sarah and Penick, his only living brother, mm-hmm. in 1963 in Tel Aviv. Yep. He said that he was able to get these pictures from Raichu's Polish governess who kept all their valuables until the war was over. Yep. But after the war, she said, all these valuables, the Nazis grabbed away. We didn't believe it, but the pictures, at least, she gave back. Do you think the Nazis really took the valuables, or do you think she kept them? I think she kept them. She's like, this is a tip for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You have nothing at all, and you're going to have a very difficult time, but I need this more than you. And just to give them pictures? Pictures. Yeah. Just to hold on to the pictures for him. So, Art, of course, wants to take the pictures home and Vlad's like of course but the cigar box I need back you can take the pictures in an envelope and he's getting all worked up and he starts coughing and he says he's talked too much he needs to lie down a little bit and now he's like it's too late to do the storm windows and he doesn't trust art to do them by himself so maybe they'll do it tomorrow and they start arguing a little bit about how art's busy until next week and then Vlad's like fine then we'll just do it now art's like fine have another heart attack then you'll just just (laughs) do that and then he's like you you just have to pay a little bit more for heat a few days longer okay we'll do the windows one day and he apologizes for making him talk so much and says never mind Vlad says never mind dar- darling always it's a pleasure when you visit and I'm like is it really always a pleasure because it seems so stressful it really does for <laughs> both of them for both of them right okay 
that's the end of chapter four and we're on to chapter five and i already mentioned at the beginning of this that it says the second honeymoon and like that's the shortest part of this chapter is the honeymoon yeah it's one scene it's one scene so we start on page 120 it's in winter and we are at the part where Vlad is writing about his brother being poisoned basically um you hear the or you see the tape recorder it says no I will not get in the gas chambers and my children will not Art clicks off of it because his because Francois comes in and says that Vlad's in the hospital actually Francois comes in they don't know yet that he's in the hospital he's she says he hasn't called us once I hope he's okay and this is where they don't know he's in the hospital yet. So Art makes this joke saying Mala is down there. Maybe they met and killed each other. <laughs> but that's not a funny joke because Vlad's really in the hospital dying <laughs> right now while Art's making these jokes. And Art says that she, that he thinks their battle keeps him going because he's been in a bizarre combination of helplessness and manic- manical energy ever since she left. I mean, you need something to get you up in the morning. And if the thing that has to get you up in the morning is making sure your wife doesn't take your money, I guess that's what you got. I guess so. And Francois floats the idea of moving Vladek in with them. Yeah. And Art is like, absolutely freaking not. And he comes up with a logical excuse, which is his heart can't take our four flights of stairs. (laughs) And then he says, it's the best thing about this place. He bought those stairs so that Vlad would never move in. (laughs) <laughs> and then Francois tries to guilt trip him. It's up to you. He's your father. And then, like, I already feel guilty. <laughs> and then they get the phone call. Uh, this seems like such a stressful scene because he's, you see on the top of page 121, he's listening to Tosha or like the recounting of Tosha saying, my children will not die in their gas chambers. And then the phone's ringing and he immediately gets a phone call about his dad being in the hospital. Like what? I feel like re-listening to those tapes must have been so stressful. Let's just pile it on there. Let's do that. Yeah, especially in that part. It's the third time in a month that he has water in the lungs. Um, he didn't want to worry them. That's why they haven't called. But Mala says it's serious. Mala's back with him. She says, God only knows why. But Art says, okay, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call the hospital. I'm going to find out what's going on. And he calls and they're like, that's not a patient here. So he calls back to Mala. And Mala's like, yeah, he just walked through the door. He discharged himself against the doctor's advice and says he doesn't trust the doctors here. He looks like a ghost. He wants to go to his New York hospital. And Mala says, I think he wants to be near you in case, God forbid, anything happens. But, I mean, we both know in a couple of pages he wanted to go back to New York because it's cheaper. Yeah. So Art goes down to Florida to help pack Vladek and bring him back to New York. And just like an old man who will not settle his butt down, he packed his whole butt up by himself and now he's feeling terrible and weak. <laughs> old people are so stubborn. We're going to be these stubborn old people one day. Isn't that exciting? We are. We are. <laughs> and I like this because Art asks Mala, how did you guys get back together? And Mala says, I don't know. I got a call from the hospital and felt sorry for him. I went over. I swore I'd never see him again, but I'm just a sucker. He talked to me until he was blue in the face, and here I am. And then you hear Vlad say, Mala, Mala, come quick. And then on, or Mala says, Anya must have been a saint. No wonder she killed herself. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> in this chapter is being so mean. Uh, and then... Art's like, he's calling you. And Mala says, it's just his stool. He wants me to check it before he'll flush. Like, <laughs> okay, I need $100,000 too if this is the job. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, and then she says, but now he's more confused and dependent. What can I do? He trapped me. That really made me sad. 
yeah the emotions that she has to be feeling must be super complicated because like you don't want him to suffer and die alone but also like fuck him mm-hmm. he's not great to her he's not even good to her i i wouldn't even say okay to her no so they get everything packed up <laughs> somebody mentions it took four hours for Vladek to unpack and refold everything because obviously everybody does everything wrong so Vlad needs to go outside and get some fresh air and he's talking about a few years ago how he went to buy some bagels and he got dizzy and just fell into a bush and luckily some people like stopped to help him but like you just fall in bushes when you're old oh my gosh I think so. And this reminds me, I went to McDonald's uh, for breakfast last week and this old man was like walking and I think his foot caught the chair or something, oh, no. but he just tumbled and I felt so bad because everyone was looking at him. Everyone was asking if he needed help. The woman at McDonald's called the ambulance and he goes, I don't need help. I just want to order my food. And she made it so uncomfortable that he just left. Oh my gosh. I would have left too. I would have got up and left because I, I would have been so embarrassed, but like they just move so slow when they yeah. fall what do they do their little arms they don't just come out fast enough <laughs> no. it's a real I think about this a lot because I'm gonna be old and my little arms are gonna go slow what if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to pee and my legs don't go fast but I'm gonna pee you're bed. gonna pee your pants you better yeah. get one of those plastic covers to go over your bed I just need like <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna need one of those like David and Schitt's Creek <laughs> so anyways they're outside they're chatting Vlad mentions how in 1946, from Poland to Sweden, they went on a tiny little plane, just 10 of them refugees, and it was the first time he ever went on a plane. And everybody was so scared, and he said, don't worry, let the plane crash, at least we'll be out of Poland. That's how bad shit was. It was terrible. Yeah, and Art is like, why was it so bad? Why did you want to leave Poland? They're finally free, and isn't that like where they're from? And he says, there's just nothing left for them anymore after the war, nothing. The knee-high if you want a full length and there's like such a shortage of the full length that people are like, okay, that's a good deal. And he ended up selling out of the whole inventory. It ends up getting a really good job there. And then a few years later, the visas to America um, went through. And so they were getting ready to board and his job was like, don't leave. You can still rip up your tickets and stay. Yeah. And I mean, he says he was really sorry to go. He was a partner at the department store. They said, he said very well off. He said he ends up in the States dealing diamonds, but he never had it so good again. And then he immediately launches into saying, we need to go inside. It's too sunny. Pack my sunglasses. I can't sit out here in the sun without my sunglasses. I feel that's so sad to me that he and like not everything's about money, obviously, but like just knowing that he had a life before that he was very well off and then he came to the States and it wasn't. It's impressive, though, because he had a life where he was really well off multiple times. He built it up from the ground like three times in the books that we've read. Yeah, that's true. I honestly wonder what he did. Like, did he stay in the diamond business in New York? They never really got into that. Yeah, they did not get into it. And I can't remember from this book or last what they said he ended up retiring from by the time we meet him. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're finally getting on the freaking plane and... Everything with Vladek is just, like, a headache. Just, like, this is what I learned reading this. I'm like, he's just a headache. He's just a headache. Just put him down. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, man. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I was reading this with the fresh stress of moving my mother across the country. As you know, it's been killing me. So this really resonated with me but it took him six (laughs) hours to get on the fucking plane because he's saying the oxygen unit isn't working the crew checks it and says it's fine he says he's then 
they say he's too sick to fly, but Vladek refuses to get off the plane. And then he's like, okay, never mind. The oxygen tank is working. <laughs> and they finally get going on the plane and they set up a free phone so that the delayed passengers, because of Vladek delayed the plane, everybody could call everybody to like let them know what was going on. And Molly used the phone to call everyone she knows in America. And then she says, I learned from Vladek <laughs> how to be cheap. <laughs> and then so a half hour later uh francois and mala make it home in the dry rain and vladek says they could have driven us to the hospital but art got an ambulance and um art says don't worry the ride is paid by my insurance and i just want to know like what insurance does he have this was back in like the 80s so way better insurance than we can get now <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Insurance that covers illnesses, probably. probably. Something like that. They, they like, want to get you to the hospital at this point in American history, you know, so you can be treated. Now it's, like, die at home, alone, whatever, burdenless oh, yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, and this was also pre-Reagan, so. Oh, yeah. So these guys really put him on a stretcher. <laughs> and they're like, that's just the regulations, buddy. <laughs> and they're taking him to LaGuardia Hospital, and <laughs> Vladek backseat driving says go on queens boulevard till i say to turn right (laughs) (laughs) and then the guy's like thanks mister but please stay on the stretcher so vlad's probably up in the front of the freaking cab of the ambulance trying to tell him what to do man it's so funny so finally art has to wait a little while he ends up going back to see his dad after his tests are run at lagardia hospital and the pills that he was getting are better his heart seems to be doing fine. And the doctor's like, you can take him home with you. And Art's like, what? No. You don't you need to just keep him a couple more days <laughs> just to watch him? But um, Vlad doesn't even mention going to Art's house. He says, okay, I can go home. Then Mal and I can stay the rest of the year in Rigo Park. And then he mentioned, it's better if nothing is wrong here, near to my health plan hospital, than in a Florida hospital for hundreds of dollars a day. So Vlad really made them put his ass on a plane to come to see a doctor in New York because he didn't want to pay a couple hundred dollars. I would be furious. I would be so mad. I feel like the plane tickets itself would have been the same price as just right. staying in that Florida hospital. How are you saving money here? You're just spending it somewhere else and pissing everyone off in the process. You turn to page 128 and it says a month or so later and Art's walking in the door Mala's saying we haven't seen you in ages and he says I needed time to get over our trip from Florida (laughs) I get that bro I get that (laughs) and he's like what's new and Mala says we're selling the house and moving down to Florida and he goes I'm surprised Vladik agreed because he's so attached to the house and so he's putting his coat on a hanger and hanging it up yeah he and Mal is just, you know, talking his ear off as, you know, your stepmother will do, saying that Vlad's been listless. Um, he's easier to take, but he's not doing well. He gets confused. He went to a bank and got lost on his way home. And, you know, this sounds bad. You know, Art goes into his room. He's laying in bed and is like, you really want to sell the house? And Vlad's like, I only want peace. If that's what Mala wants is Florida, then we'll go to Florida. And he says, come sit. I'm surprised to see you. And uh, Art says, I told you I was coming to see you when I called you yesterday. And he goes, you called? I don't remember. Art says, I came to take the rest of your story if you feel up to it. And he says, I need to know what happened at the very end of the war. And then Vladek says, yeah, I still remember. He said, Art says, you were living on a farm with some GIs. Vladek said, yeah, with my friend Shivik. And many refugees started to go everywhere. He said, so it came to an order. Quarters were set up for displaced persons camp. So they're going to have to move all the Jewish people there. Yeah, they actually got papers 
for their identity and a place to stay. And it looks like they're actually like, it's still a barracks, but it looks like it's individual beds instead of cramming them on. So it seems better. Vladik's typhus starts acting up again and he goes, and- sees a real doctor. Yeah. This is crazy, right? This is, he's had such a rough few years, but he was sick for a while and the doctor couldn't figure out what it was. He said like, your typhus did relapse, but something else is going on and we can't diagnose it. So a year after um, he finds out that he also has diabetes. That Sheesh. is so wild. Like every freaking thing. Do you think that, like, I don't know how diabetes is caused. Did like the, his life before this cause him to have diabetes? If he didn't go into the camp, didn't starve himself, didn't have to survive on whatever he could eat, would he have gotten diabetes? That's what I, that's what I'm thinking. I also wonder if the um, Russian or Germans put in a lot of sugar in the bread. Mm, they could have. Yeah. And I mean, at one point he was trading just straight up sugar for snow on that train, just eating handfuls of sugar. So, mm-hmm. so this camp, he says he had it pretty easy. They actually get a lot of goodies when they finally got their ID papers to go. By then they'd stocked up on some chocolates. They're finding out that you can't buy tickets to Hanover. They don't even know if there are any tracks. He said it's chaos right now. Trains are stopping and starting and they have to change directions. And it just seems like it's going to be really hard to get to where they need to go. But anyway, they get on a train, they're going, and they drive through freaking a place in Germany, and it's, like, fucked up there. The Americans came and destroyed everything. They say they haven't had water in three days. Not one building went still standing. And he said, we all came away happy. Let the Germans have a little of what they did to the Jews. And on that train ride, Vladek says, as he was passing by, I scrub streets here as a POW. So it's kind of come back full circle. Yeah. And now it was stones and only nothing. Mm -hmm. Only stones and nothing. Yeah, that's what happens. They finally arrived to Hanover. Um, The kids were able to share a one bedroom wherever they were staying. So Vladek and Shiva could have the other bedroom. Yeah, there's multiple bedrooms. Like just slowly getting back to being human. And... This is when they find out that Sosnowick is very fucking dangerous and Anya's there. Anya's been... Wait, do we find out here on this page that Anya's there? I think it's the next page because in here... I think it's the next one because Vladik was, is sending uh, letters to the Jewish mm. Community Center for yeah. Anya because he hasn't seen her since Auschwitz last year and he doesn't think that she's alive so he was like, I saw her. She was thin. She was weak. And someone else says, you might, I'm assuming it's Shivik, you might get news about your family at the big DP camp at Belzen. Jews mm-hmm. are flooding in from all over. So he's walking there and someone sees Vladik and they call out to him and he says, Jenny, Sonia. And they're like, oh, we just came from Poland. We're lucky to get out. Yeah. And- and then that's when we find out that so, so Snowick, the Poles there were still killing Jews. That's how good their campaign of hate towards Jewish people were. Like, the war is over, and they're still killing Jewish people in the street. It he, was awful. They, it's a really sad story on page 132. They talk about how this family owned a bakery in Snowsnowick, and a son came back home and said, this is my family's house. And the Polish man there says, we thought Hitler finished you off. And he ended up they throw him out. He spends the night in the shed behind the house, but then the Poles found him, beat him, and hanged him. 
And Vlad says, for this, he survived. So basically, like, this is what he survived for, just to go be beaten and hanged in his own family home. And Vlad's like, stop it. I don't want to hear any more of this story. Just tell me if you know anything about Anya. And these two women saw her. She, they say she didn't get her property back. She didn't try to get her property back. So the Polish people left her alone. And he was so excited that Anya was alive. And he had to freaking get there. And Anya kept going to the Jewish organization center every day. And the person running the desk said, sorry, Anya, no news for you. Mm-hmm. And she told Vladik later when she came home that she went to a gypsy and the gypsy told her that she's lost everyone except for one person Mm -hmm. and it's her husband but he's been very very ill yep and the gypsy or psychic says you'll get a sign that he's alive by the time the moon is full and says I see a ship a faraway place you'll have a new life and another little boy and I'm just impressed with how every single time they've gotten a prediction from like a psychic they're accurate yeah it makes me want to go to a psychic right me too I need to know what's going on in my future same so basically they're both going into this Jewish organization sending letters and just trying to find each other and they finally do Anya gets a letter from Vlad and confirms that he's sick just like the gypsy said and he even sent her a picture he said he passed a photo place that had a camp uniform a new clean one that they would let people try on to take souvenir photos so at the <laughs> bit of, yeah at the bottom of 134 we get to see vlad all dressed up and looking spiffy he was and so handsome see he knew it too wasn't he didn't he yeah he did but, like this is after the war i yeah. wish i knew when he had this picture took and it had to be um but he says Anya kept it always and he even kept it on his desk after she passed and of course Art had to go grab it to add it to the book and he kept it a real life picture yeah so finally they've made contact Vlad's gonna go see Anya and he goes and trades in all the things that he saved up to get her some dresses and a fur coat and one of his buddies decides to go with him since he's going and they hop on a train it's kind of chaotic they have to use different (laughs) trains it seems like and at one point they're out of water so Vlad's like I'm gonna go get some water you stay here Shavek with the luggage and when he comes back the train car had moved so he lost all of his luggage and ended up just walking straight to Poland while Shavek went back to where they were before and it took him three to four weeks to get there that's crazy isn't it he's done so much walking Yep. And then when he got to Snesowick, he saw very little Jews around, but found out where the Jewish organization is. And he said there people knew him and they helped him. They went and grabbed Anya and they saw each other and they embraced in a nice big hug. He says, I don't need to tell you more. We were both very happy and lived happy, happy ever after. So let's stop, please, your tape recorder. I'm tired from talking, right, you? It's enough stories for now. And then... The bottom of the page is the Spiegelman headstone with Vladek on one side and Anya on the other side. He was so confused at the end. He called him Raichu. I wonder, he didn't die right here, right? That's just the end of them talking about it. I think that's the end of them talking about it, but I think that he had dementia. He definitely did. And talking about all these memories probably confused him. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Were you surprised that... Vlad and Anya got buried together. Do you think Mala knew that they were going to get buried together? 
I think Mala knew that they were going to get buried together. I think Mala knew that she would always come in second to Anya. That's got to make it, like, even worse to be treated that way by him. Right? Yeah. Because she knows she's just basically an employee and he won't even fucking pay her. Exactly. And it kind of makes me... So I watched the show called This Is Us. I don't know if you watch it. I don't. Okay. Well, I'm just going to spoil it. So Spoil it. That's at, fine. <laughs> at the end... So they just finished their sixth and final season. And at the end, the mom has dementia, which kind of hits home because uh. my grandfather died of dementia in October. Yeah. And she's on this train ride. And as she's on this train ride, she sees people in her life who have impacted her. And some are dead. Some are still alive. Some are like her grandchildren at a younger age. Some are her children through their ages of life. And in the train, she sees, um, so she was married twice. Her first husband died. And then her second husband died older. So she sees her second husband and they talk a little bit. And then she goes back and then she lays on a bed And as she lays down, she turns over and she sees her first husband. Mm -hmm. And then they just start talking about, like, death and, like, going um, forward. I'm not going to talk about it because I'm going to cry. I already feel it. That shit sounds really sad. (laughs) So I'm wondering if, like, that's kind of how it was for Vladik. Like, I don't know what happens when you die, but I'm thinking if it's like that, I'm sure him and Anya have had embraced again Mm -hmm. in the next life. That just reminds me that I read recently that scientists have kind of confirmed that your life does flash before your eyes right before you die. Yes, I saw that. That's crazy, right? Yes. That just, I mean, that must mean that you know you're dying. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing that I'm most scared about, like, the, the thing that is scary about death to me is, like, I don't want to know that I'm dying. That seems no. like the scary part. I want it to be a surprise. Yeah, I want it to be a surprise to myself, too. And I just hope... I want to have plans that day. I want to be busy. Well, I want to be asleep. Please bring it on when I'm sleeping. Right. And I really hope it's not public. I hope nobody sees my corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And I I really hope that if I do get the seven seconds of a flashback or whatever, that it's all the good memories and nothing bad. And I hope that I'm a good person for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's that's a good one. Man, I feel like these books were good. I'm sad, though, and I'm excited to read something less heavy. Me too, but before we move on to that, banned or not banned? Okay, okay. Those are, that's, that's all we really care about, isn't it? I've been thinking yes. about this a lot. That's why we read this book. <laughs> right, exactly. We're like, are these people, are, are they being um, sissies or no? <sighs> they're being sissies. I think I they're being sissies. I, if we're not going to ban guns, I don't think we should ban books. That's my stance. If you would exactly. ask me a week ago, maybe I would be like, okay, nipples aren't great for children. <laughs> but like, if they can get shot, they can read a book, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's an awful thing to say. I'm, that's terrible for me to say. But like, this book, I feel like people need to know that this happened. Because we need to know this happened. We need to know that countries are capable of this if we contort things in a way that's not true and let them create division amongst people that doesn't need to be there and if we let them give their fucking soldiers meth shit gets fucked up people need to know this they do need to know it and we need to learn from our history because if we don't learn from our history then we're gonna have people spewing the same stuff that's been spewed in the past that have have taken us there right and I remember learning about the Holocaust when I was in school and they showed us video from the Holocaust. Like you actually got to see these people withering away and being sick, shoved on their like beds and shit. Like that's traumatic. That seems more traumatic than this to me. 
That's what I see too. I mean, like you, like we talked about in the past episode, the suicide scene in the first book was really tough. Um, maybe this book shouldn't be meant for middle schoolers, mm-hmm. but definitely high schoolers, I think, can handle it. Because at that time, high schoolers are already talking about boobs anyway. Right, exactly. And the fact of the matter is suicide is something we need to talk about in our culture. It's something that happens every day. It happens to people in middle school and it happens to people in high school. Mm-hmm. So I think that taking away awareness from that creates more problems than it solves anyway. Now that oh, I've geez. reflected on it after being shocked about seeing that scene. And also it's like literally one scene. It's not even like a whole, like as wide as the page, it's one little square, a third of the page. Like, mm-hmm. so anyway, not banned in my opinion. Not Stop banned banning in books. my opinion. Stop banning knowledge. Ban ignorance. Let's ban some of that. How do Woo! we legislate banning and ignorance? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, we have to get rid of all men. I'm just kidding. You know just what? Kidding. <laughs> Somebody told me that <sighs> we do need to get rid of all men. That's so funny. I, and <laughs> nobody told me this. I think I saw a TikTok actually, and somebody said that America was a freaking cult. And do you still remember the freaking Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah. If we can pledge allegiance to the fucking flag of the United States of America every single day in our little American culty ass, I think we can read this book. Like, if we're being indoctrinated from the age of five to love our country over nothing else, we can read that sometimes people kill themselves. Exactly. And then even in this book, it talks about how the Americans saved the Jews. So, I mean, it's Americanism at its finest. And the Americans are dogs in this. This is a pro-American title. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we read it. Me too. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read another Holocaust book for a long, long, long time. No. I have um, a book on my shelf right now. Actually, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Mm, I've heard Um, about that one. It's a movie too. I don't think Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it for a while. And then I also have a a book called Kite Runner. It's about like afghanistan and like stuff that was happening in afghanistan with the taliban Mm -hmm. so i don't think i'm gonna be reading that one for a while either yeah we need some distraction yes so that leads us to our next book yeah we're finally gonna get with the times and read verity by colleen hoover everybody Um, says it's amazing yeah i heard that she's actually a really great author um she wrote a book it ends with us that i heard is really good i'm actually going to read that here soon but i'm excited to read verity i was flipping through and a page caught my eye and i read a little bit of it and all it all i read was i sucked him off so hard so <laughs> yes and she has a lot of books with her smutty ass she has yes. on the back it says the hopeless series the maybe someday series and then some single titles ugly love confess it ends with us like you said all your perfects and many more so if this is amazing i'm going to be downloading audiobooks and ebooks and listening to smut everywhere i am i know maybe (laughs) maybe i should wait for it ends with us to see if we're gonna do a book cast on that one (laughs) oh maybe that might be a good one to read because i think i'm going to like this author this is the type of book that i read normally (laughs) good i'm excited to get into it i'm gonna see if i can set up my hammock in the back this weekend and get started Ooh, should i read the back so the people can know what the book's about all right It says, Loan Ashley is a struggling writer on the brink of financial ruin when she accepts the offer of a lifetime. Jeremy Crawford, husband of best-selling author Verity Crawford, has hired Loan to complete the remaining books in the successful series his injured wife is unable to finish. 
Lowen arrives at the Crawford home, ready to sort through years of Verity's notes and outlines, hoping to find enough material to get her started. What Lowen doesn't expect to uncover in the chaotic office is an unfinished autobiography, autobiography Verity never intended for anyone to read. Page after page of bone-chilling admissions, including Verity's recollection of the night her family was forever altered. Ooh. Lowen decides to keep the manuscript hidden from Jeremy, knowing its contents could devastate the already grieving father. But Lowen's feelings for Jeremy begin to intensify. She recognizes all the ways she can benefit if he were to read his wife's words. After all, no matter how devoted Jeremy is to his injured wife, a truth this horrifying would make it impossible for him to continue loving her. She's still this this lady's husband. Oh my lanta. This is gonna be this is gonna be a messy drama. This one's gonna be good. I'm foaming out the mouth right now. <laughs> How deep do you think we should go? I already I already split it up for us. We're gonna read to page 103, which is chapter three, which I think is in uh Verity's book, because right before that is chapter six. So okay. stop do you want to stop at 103? Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay. And we'll be back in two weeks to talk about what we think about the first hundred pages or so. I'm excited. Me too. This one's going to be good.